Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. We got week two of the Halloween specials today, and I just have one question for you. What's your favorite scary movie? Because this week I'm going to be talking about some true events horror movies are based on and what those events were to inspire films such as the Amityville Horror. I love scary movies. Not so much the really bloody gory ones, but the ones that create visual tension. And even though it's a seemingly calm scene, you're grasping the edge of your seat at what might be coming next. I love those. I live for those. They're amazing. There is one scene in particular that has always stuck with me from the first Conjuring movie when the little girl is sleepwalking. If you know, you know. You know what I'm talking about if you know. Also, did everyone like my sound effects I dabbled in last week? (laughs) It was really fun to put together. And I may add uh, some in this episode as well. Maybe all of the Halloween specials actually. But after Halloween, the sound effects will go away. I'll put them in a box until next year. I do love them, but not not, not for all year. They're for special occasions. The first scary movie we are going to to be talking about is the Amityville Horror. (laughs) I did just mention it. Uh, There are quite a few Amityville Horror movies and I will now list all of them in order of release, starting with the very first one ever made based on a book in 1979, which is the Amityville Horror. Then followed That movie, the original Amityville Horror, was the 1982 Amityville The Possession. In 1983, this time in 3D, Amityville 3, The Demon. So Amityville 3 was in 3D in 1983. I think 3D movies were quite popular in the 80s. Uh, So yeah, Amityville 3, The Demon. That came out then in 1989, Amityville 4. The Evil Escapes, look out. In 1990, Amityville Curse came out. 1992, Amityville, It's About Time. (laughs) 1993, Amityville, A New Generation. 1996, Amityville Dollhouse. And the one I know best, the one that introduced me to the Amityville horror was the Amityville Horror, (laughs) released in 2005, starring Ryan Reynolds. No, now we've done a full circle because in 2005, in 2005, when they released the Amityville Horror starring Ryan Reynolds, it was kind of like a remake of the first one. But then in 2017, they didn't stop. They put out another one called Amityville, The Awakening. And I haven't seen this one. I, I, I didn't even know it existed. I had no idea there was any Amityville's made after 2005 but there is so if you're looking to binge watch a horror movies a horror movie series this is a pretty good contender for your halloween lineup although i can't vouch for all of these really i only know the 2005 the amityville horror that one when i think of amityville i only think of that 2005 release and i had no idea before researching this movie that there were so many others The thing that made this house so famous for the horror genre was what happened in that home in real life. We're going to talk about that. But first, how much creative licensing was used in the film? We're also going to find that out because the book was titled Amityville Horror, A True Story. And the movie as well, I believe it was like based on a true story or this is a true story. So that makes you think that it's a shot for shot a shot-for-shot remake of the true events that unfolded in the home. I can't speak for all the sequels, so we're just going to be talking about the remake in 2005 of the original, of the Amityville Horror, uh, which both claim to be based on true events. When a movie says, based on real or true events, it often means 
heavy creative licensing has been used and should really say inspired by true events, which some do, and I find that more fitting for this situation. Nonetheless, the true story of what is behind Amityville is haunting. It is gruesome. The 2005 Amityville Horror has everything I love about scary movies. Starts off with a happy, healthy family getting a good deal on a gorgeous home in a slightly remote area. Any scary movie that starts off with that or a bunch of teenagers heading to a cabin on spring break in a windowless Jeep and I'm hooked. Even better if the movie is placed in the 70s or 80s, which Amityville is. The family in the movie is actually based on people, like the real people, uh, the Lutz family. George and Kathleen Lutz and their children, uh, Daniel, Christopher, and Missy, they purchased that big, beautiful home at 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville, Long Island in 1975. This home was a steal. And the reason being because a massacre had taken place in that home. Fact. That is a fact. A massacre had indeed took place in that home on November 13th, 1974, just one year prior to the Lutz family moving in. The night of November 13th, 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo, also known as Butch, took a rifle and at 3.15 a.m. shot his entire family one by one. He went room to room, killing his mother, his father, his two sisters, and his two brothers in their beds as they slept. It was a horrific scene. The youngest of the victims was only nine years old. He then washed off all the blood and gore from his body and drove to a bar and told everyone inside that his entire family had been killed by a stranger. Police were notified and the discovery of each family member shot dead laying face down in their bed was made. It was an evil scene. It was horrific. Police will, they will never forget what they discovered in the Amityville home that day. Police suspected Ronald, but it took some time before an arrest could be made. Police watched the home and eventually arrested Ronald. Soon he confessed to doing it, saying the devil made him do it. Ooh, ooh, that's the same title as uh, uh, the last Conjuring movie I watched. Hmm. Ronald claimed that voices coming from within the home pushed him to kill everyone inside and that a woman with black hands handed him the gun to do it. But to police, something didn't add up. The gun Ronald used would have been heard by neighbors up to five blocks away, and yet nobody heard anything. The only There was one neighbor that said between about 3 and 3.30 in the morning, she could hear the DeFeo family dog barking, and that was it. Nobody reported any gunshots being heard. Judging by the crime scene, it appeared not a single member of the family had made any attempts to escape. But surely the sound of the gun would have woken up the victims before they had been killed and maybe tried to hide or run. No evidence of that. How is it that all six were found face down, shot in bed? The argument that perhaps they were moved into their beds after they had been shot didn't pan out. That was ruled out by the autopsy findings. Also, no drugs like sleeping pills were found in any victim's bodies. Uh, they were all shot and died in bed in the positions they were found in. None of them had been drugged or tied up. So they were all face down when he shot them all and nobody woke up from the sound of a very large, powerful gun going off in the home. Something is creepy with that. Police wonder if Ronald didn't act alone. Ronald had told a few different stories, but no accomplices was, it was never proven. No one was ever named to help him in, the, in this crime. There was speculation that his sister helped him do it and then he killed her. 
uh, but that was never proven either. There was another story saying that his sister did it and then he killed her to stop her and then took had to take the heat for killing everybody. I, I don't know. That never panned out either. That was never proven. For these six murders, he was charged and sentenced to six 25-year life sentences. So quick math, that's a 150-year sentence. Ronald said in an interview, we were a really close family. It's a, it's a shame what happened, but it happened. Wow, okay. That is scary. The DeFeo home was put up for sale for $850,000. It's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom, huge home, and the Lutz family purchased it one year after the murders. The Lutz family, they knew full well about the brutal attacks that happened in the home, but they were certain there was nothing evil in the home anymore. According to George Lutz, their family dog was found hanging one hour after moving into the home. He stated in an interview that the dog was chained up in the backyard and the dog tried to jump over the fence and got hung. Luckily, they saved the dog. The dog did not die. He believes this was the first sign that something evil was lurking in their new home. So when they bought the home, they knew that there had been a massacre there, but they were thinking, okay, well, that was just an unfortunate event of a man who did a terrible thing and they didn't believe at all that there were ghosts or demons or anything like that. But then as soon as they moved in, they found their dog hanging over the fence. Luckily they saved it and then they started thinking, okay, maybe there is something sinister in this home. So they brought a priest in to bless the home and the priest said he felt something sinister in one of the upstairs bedrooms and he heard a voice telling him to get out, which it really spooked this priest. And he advised the family not to use that room. Don't use that room as a bedroom. Don't sleep in there. There is something really wrong. There is, is something dark in there. But the Lutz family, they stayed in the house. George would wake up every morning at 3.15 a.m., for no reason. He would just find himself wide awake in bed and the clock every time read 3.15, which is the same time Ronald DeFeo massacred his family. He also started to get sick a lot. He started to, he started feeling like not himself. He had developed a very short temper. He was getting aggressive. He was lashing out at his family. He was so cold all the time. No amount of heating could warm him up. The home, they said, had swarms of flies in some rooms and they would kill them all, but the flies would all just come back. Uh, George would hear screams at night. He said his children were saying really weird things. He even said the toilets turned black, not the water, but the porcelain. January 14th, 1976, only after owning the home for two months, the family fled and never told anybody what happened that night that they abandoned the home on Ocean Avenue, but it must have been something terrifying to leave them running away from it. Eventually the bank took it it foreclosed and all their stuff was auctioned off. They took a loss. They were like, we are out of here. This house is haunted as fuck. Bye. But before that happened, before all of their stuff was auctioned off and before the bank took hold of it, the home was investigated for paranormal and spiritual evidence. Enter Ed and Lorraine Warren. If you are a horror movie fan, then you have heard these names before. Ed and Lorraine Warren are real people in real life, and they are demonologists and a clairvoyant. So Lorraine is a clairvoyant psychic. Uh, Ed Warren is a demonologist, and together they are Ed and Lorraine Warren, paranormal investigators. If you've watched the Conjuring movies, you know Ed and Lorraine Warren pretty well because uh, they kind of star in it. Well, not the actual Ed and Lorraine, but people based on them with the names Ed and Lorraine Warren. You know what I mean. Lorraine Warren says that there was 
more than just human spirits in that home. There was something evil residing in that home and she could feel it. They weren't the only spiritual specialists that came to the home to investigate it. And uh, also they held a seance. Many paranormal investigators flooded the home looking for answers. A journalist was there with them as well. And uh, she reports of a cameraman in the home having stabbing pains in his chest when taking photos. Another psychic who was there said she saw a little girl looking out at her from the upstairs window and she also heard crying that same psychic said she threw holy water in the home and it made a sizzling sound Lorraine Warren felt so much evil in that home she was quoted saying I hope this is as close to hell as I'll ever get In the upstairs of the home where the DeFeo family was murdered, the paranormal investigator set up a camera on a time lapse and the camera was firing off every so often to see if they could catch anything on film. And they did. This is so creepy. I saw the photos and it gives me shivers. Most of the photos were uneventful, but there was at least one photo and as clear as day, you can see a little boy peering out from a dark bedroom like it is the house is dark this camera is kicking off a flash and it's illuminating this little boy's face and he's just peering out of the door like what's going on out here he's around nine years old his eyes are glowing and the image is haunting there were no children in the home during the investigation and nobody knows who the little boy is. Could it be one of the DeFeo children's spirits maybe? Uh, could it be a demon posing as a child? There was one person who recognized the little boy and that was George Lutz's daughter, Missy, who was a little girl at the time. And George had asked Missy if she knew the boy and she said... I used to play with him when we lived in that house. Ooh, that is creepy. Imagine showing your daughter a picture of a ghost boy from a seance. And she's like, yeah, I know him. We used to play tic-tac-toe. Oh, okay. A woman by the name of Ethel Johnson Myers visited the home with a ghost hunter. Ethel is a medium and they needed her to be able to speak with these spirits, but not only speak with them, more like channel them through her. Ethel acted as a voice and body for the spirit to speak through. And the journalist on site said Ethel's voice actually changed. It dropped. She said about seven octaves. And Ethel grew an Adam's apple. She went through like a physical transformation channeling the spirit. The spirit was a Native American chief, and he was angry that people were living on his sacred land in which he was buried on. He didn't want them there. That particular ghost hunter who was with Ethel, he said that there weren't any demons, there weren't a lot of ghosts, there was just this one spirit of this Native American chief who was just really angry that they lived there, and the chief had possibly possessed Ronald DeFeo the night he murdered his whole family. Meanwhile, George and Kathy Lutz had been going on talk shows and speaking about the Amityville home that they had fled from in terror. It gripped America and soon became the book, The Amityville Horror. The book was flying off the shelves, not by a demonic presence, but by consumers. It was a knockout, and not long after came the birth of the first Amityville horror movie. The Amityville Horror House was known around the world, and people couldn't resist a spooky vacation to see the real thing. The small town was flooded with international and American tourists, all wanting to touch the evil house, take a piece of the lawn, take a piece of the fence, even take a piece of the siding from the home. It was chaotic. The people living in Amityville couldn't believe what was happening. It wasn't good for the locals. They had cars driving and parking all over their lawns, ripping up their lawns. They had people all in their backyards, people everywhere. It seemed to be a never-ending parade of visitors 
fascinated with this home where a family had been massacred. There is heavy speculation that the Lutz family purchased the Amityville home just to conjure up this haunting story so they could make money when they hyped it up and sold their story. So how much of this is true? Well, the people who bought the home after the Lutz family report absolutely zero hauntings or demons or spirits or any paranormal activity. Jay Anson, the man who wrote the book that made millions titled The Amityville Horror, The True Story, died shortly after the book took off. I found that haunting. He writes this book. It takes off like hotcakes. All he ever wanted was to be rich from writing. He had told people that. And he did indeed die rich, never having the opportunity to enjoy the wealth it brought him. If that's not some kind of deal with the devil, I don't know what is. I'd imagine him saying to the devil, I will give you my soul. I will sell you my soul if you make the next book I write take off and bring me all the riches I desire. And the devil rubbing his hands together and saying, okay, Jay, I can do that. (laughs) Nobody ever reads the fine print, do they? If you're going to sell your soul to the devil, you better be reading that damn fine print. That is the real events that the Amityville horror movies are based on. George Lutz says the book is accurate, uh, but he is not happy about some of the recent movies. And I'm not sure if he means the 2005 one or all of them, but he stands by the book and the book is in the movies based on the book. But the guy who made the the movie, I think they use some pretty heavy creative licensing. Okay, the next horror movie based on real events we are going to talk about is The Conjuring, the first one. And this is where we are going to talk more about Ed and Lorraine Warren. This movie is awesome. It is so well made. It's scary. It has anticipation. It has visual tension. It is just an ace in the hole, if you ask me. But what is this movie based on? So the Amityville home was located on Long Island. This one is placed on Rhode Island. Remind me to never buy a house in America on anything on an island because there just seems to be a lot of spooky shit going on. January of 1971. So this is actually a few years before the family massacre in the Amityville home. January 1971, the Perrin family buys a home. It's a huge 14-bedroom farm home in Harrisville, Rhode Island, which sits on 200 acres. Again, we got another ville. We had Amityville. Now we have Harrisville. What is the deal with towns that end in ville? Roger and Carolyn Perrin, along with their five daughters, move into this ginormous home. All the names are kept the same in the movie as the events in real life. Lorraine Warren actually worked with the director to depict the actual and true events. The family moves into this massive house on this massive property. Could you imagine owning 200 acres? Seems like the damn dream for a border collie owner who hates dog parks like myself. That's enough space to buy my dog a herd of sheep just for her to round up every day. And a bonus would be all the wool sweaters I could make, but there would be no sheep and no wool sweaters for the Perrin family, only hauntings and possession. Maybe when the owner before them told them to always leave the lights on, that should have been a good foreshadow as to what was in that home. I'm not sure if they got a good deal on this house or if they knew anything about the history of it, uh, but I bet they wish they had. They didn't know it was haunted until everything was signed and paid for. Unlike the movie, it wasn't a beautiful, sunny, warm day when they moved in. That day was actually a snowstorm. Moving all their shit from the truck into the house would have been terrible in a snowstorm the floors would have been covered in slush and mud and it would have been a nightmare from the beginning everything that wasn't covered would have been soggy with melting snow on it but the bright side was that there was probably a lot of christmas trees on their property they had their pick of trees during that day when they were moving all their stuff in the oldest daughter who i believe was 12 asked her mother 
who's that man in the living room? And her mother stopped and said, uh, what bitch? There is no one there. (laughs) She didn't say that. She said, no, honey, there's nobody there. What are you talking about? Which is creepy. When they moved in, they had brought their family cats and they also had a dog as well. The dog ended up dying not long after they had moved in and all the cats ran away. If I moved into a house and my dog died immediately after moving into the house, I would burn that fucking house to the ground with everything inside. Boom. End of story if that was me, but it's not me. So let's continue. While they were thinking, where the hell did all the cats go? They were also asking, where's the, where's the broom? Why is the kettle making scratching sounds? And why are all the damn clocks stopping at 3.07 every day? Yeah, just a lot of weird stuff was brewing. Every single clock in the house would just freeze at 3.07 every morning. 3.07 a.m., all the clocks would stop working. They reported things like the fridge door opening and closing on its own, doors in the home slamming and opening on their own, the telephones levitating, spirits talking to them at night, the toilets flushing randomly, birds flying into the windows, smashing glass sounds, but nothing would be broken when they would go look. Beds lifting off the ground at 5.15 a.m., very specific time for these beds to be levitating, but it was 5.15 a.m. One of the daughters, Nancy, was being called to a well on the property by a disembodied voice, luring this small child to this dangerous well. In the movie, there's a really chilling scene in which the girls are screaming uh, that something is watching them from the dark corner of their room while they slept. I don't have any facts to tell you about that. I just wanted to say that part of the movie was really creepy. Although in real life, they did report the home would randomly smell like rotting flesh, which in that scene, they do talk about a terrible smell in the room. The family was so uneasy with whatever was happening in the home that they started to never be alone in any rooms. They always had to be together. They were always staying with one another because when they were alone, that's when things would really escalate or, you know, really scary things would happen. Even using the bathroom, they would have one or two of their sisters with them. They wanted to move out, but Roger, the father, was telling them, nah, you guys are just making this stuff up. Nothing bad is going on. It's all good. Just chill out. Carolyn was the first one to be physically affected by whatever was in the home. She would feel piercing pains, slaps, and pinches. Carolyn started to research the property and discovered it had a long, dark history. There were deaths that had happened long before they bought the home. Like two men who froze to death on the property, two people had hung themselves, another suicide by poison. But the one that stuck out the most was a woman who lived there in the 1800s named Bathsheba, um, who was an alleged Satanist and allegedly killed her own baby with a sewing needle as a sacrifice to the Dark Lord. She was never convicted of her crime, but people were super suspicious of her, labeling her a witch. I don't think witches and Satanists are the same thing, so I don't know where they're getting that from, but I don't know. The property was old and over the centuries it had gone by numerous names including the old Arnold estate named after the previous owner. In total it had had eight generations live and die there. Fact about the movie. This is a fact. It had a 13 million dollar budget they did not film it in the original home on Rhode Island instead they built a home on a filming set to use for the movie the actual house looks nothing like the house in the movie also one of the parents daughter Andrea wrote a book about the home called house of darkness house of light which I wish I would have had time to read before writing this but as I was researching it I just found out about that book The Perrin family eventually got into contact with Ed and Lorraine Warren. Hello, Ed and Lorraine again. So they got into contact with Ed and Lorraine Warren for help to clear the spirits out of the home. 
the demonologist and his psychic medium wife were on the case. 1973, October 30th, Devil's Night. The night before Halloween was the first time they entered the parents' home to investigate. In some sources, it says the parents contacted the Warrens and then other sources say they were tipped off by an anonymous source of all this spiritual ongoings in the parents' home. And then Ed and Lorraine Warren just showed up at their house and was like, knock, knock, you guys got ghosts? It's Devil's Night, hello. But I don't know. In the movie, the mother, Carolyn, goes and finds Ed and Lorraine Warren and begs them for help. And um, Lorraine Warren said she worked closely with the director for this movie and didn't allow too much creative licensing, apparently. So it's possible that Carolyn did seek out Ed and Lorraine's help. Ed and Lorraine decided they needed to do a seance in that home. The seance happened in the dining room. They decided to do this seance. And Ed and Lorraine Warren said they weren't conducting an exorcist at this time because they couldn't do that, but they did have a priest there. And in the movie, it does seem like an exorcism. So I don't know. They did bring a priest to help. They brought a film crew to catch everything on tape. And apparently that's when a door was opened. A dark, evil door got opened during this seance. Behind that door were spirits that were being held back. But once the mediums told the spirits, hey, you can come in, they did. Why would the medium do that? If it can't come in, don't let it in. That's like haunting 101. That's like demonology 101. I don't know what the hell they're doing over there. That dark spirit that was now in the house possessed Carolyn. And there were reports from that night that Carolyn was speaking in a foreign language, possibly tongues, work of the devil. And she began to levitate in her chair. And then she flew through the air 20 feet. Wow. I really hope the film crew caught all of that on tape because it's kind of unbelievable. But... It sure does make for a good film. I'll tell you that. After the incident, Roger kicked out Ed and Lorraine Warren, the priest, the film crew. He told them, I'll get the fuck out of here and don't come back. I don't know what you're doing to my wife, but she is just wilding right now. In 1980, the Perrin family packed up and moved away from the haunted home to another state. But unfortunately, Roger and Carolyn divorced. Roger was still a skeptic and didn't believe there was any hauntings or possessions happening. So again, this does not line up with the movie. In the movie, they do like a full-on exorcism on Carolyn and Roger is there every step of the way. Like, I'm a believer in demons, but not in the real story. Ed and Lorraine Warren claim it was the worst haunting they had ever seen or dealt with. The true story ends a bit different than the movie for Roger and Carolyn. In the movie, Roger is a believer, but in real life, he was not. And Roger and Carolyn ended up getting divorced because he just wouldn't believe his children or his wife that there was any hauntings going on that there was any demons he thought they were all making it up and this affected their relationship and they ended up getting divorced what happened to that haunted house in harrisville rhode island what happened to the conjuring house someone bought it from the parents but reportedly ran out of the home screaming leaving all of his tools and even his vehicle there and refused to go back into the home but then it was sold again to owners who will remain nameless here as they really want to protect their privacy, which has been deeply violated since the movies came out. The home was then sold again. And by 2014, at least, I'm not sure when this lady bought the house. It was a retiree a woman and her husband. They bought the house after that the man had run screaming from it. I guess he sold it. A woman and her husband buy it. And by 2014, they are so angry. She makes this huge, long, hour-long uh, YouTube video dispelling all of the haunting stories that came out in the movies. She didn't know that the movies were going to come out. And she certainly didn't think that people would swarm to see this house but they did they were having trespassers she couldn't relax she couldn't go out on her front porch she was constantly kicking people off the property they 
she would find people hiding behind the barns, uh, waiting for them to go to sleep at night so they could creep around their property in their house. She was always calling police on them. She would yell at them to get off of their property and they would say things like, well, we'll just come back at night, which you could see why would make somebody really uneasy. So she did make this hour long YouTube video and it was, it had a lot of records and newspaper clippings dispelling the accusation that Bathsheba killed a baby there because she was never, she was never found guilty of that. Um, she was dispelling the story that people had committed suicide there, that Bathsheba had killed herself there. She was just trying to make it all go away, but it was just too much. People just wanted to see this house. And eventually in 2019, they sold it to a pair of paranormal fans, Jen and Corey Heinzen, and they bought it for just under, I think, $440,000. And they opened it up for tourists, which I was like, smart, that is so smart. Because when I was researching the lady who was really angry about it in 2014, I was thinking, why doesn't she just sell it for double of what she bought it for? I'm not sure what she bought it for, but if people were that obsessed with the house and the house was famous, surely she could make a ton of money on this, move away and never have to deal with it again. So it would solve all of her problems. So 2019, Jen and Corey Heinzen buy it. Uh, they open it up for tourists. They open it up for people to spend the night in. They open it up. They take guided tours of the home. And uh, of course, they invite people in to try to speak with these ghost spirits and demons. When I learned that people were allowed to tour and stay in the home, I thought, okay, I reckon there are YouTube videos of this. And boom, Exploring with Josh, who I mentioned in the last episode, uh, he had a video on it. In my last episode, I said Josh probably had like a million followers. Fuck, I was so wrong. He's got over 4 million followers. He is super popular. He's not a ghost hunter, but he does go to this house and they do communicate with spirits in the home. And he even appeared in an episode with ghost hunters Sam and Colby. Uh, in their video when they spent a night in there. They actually went back twice. Sam and Colby, they have a YouTube channel called Sam and Colby. And yeah, they did two videos in there. One, they brought a psychic medium in with in the home with them. And it gets really spooky. I have linked that video so you can watch that. September 2001, the house went back on the market for $1.2 million. So again, it's jumping in price. And Andrea Perrin, she actually said that she would like to own the property. She doesn't want to live on it. She just wants to own it. Uh, she couldn't afford it though. It's just way too expensive. It was purchased for over the asking price at over $1.5 million. Jen and Corey Heinzen, they did put conditions on the home and they had to interview potential buyers. They didn't just sell it off willy-nilly. And one of their conditions was whoever bought the home couldn't live in it for the owner's protection. For So whoever bought this home, they said, you can't live in this home. It's for your own protection. And that made me laugh because they are selling a house, but then they tell whoever wants to buy the home that they can't live in it. And they still managed to sell it for way over the asking price. The new buyer who paid over the asking price is leaving the house in the hands of Jen and Corey Heinzen. And they are still running the tours. And they and the tours and the stays was already booked up in 2022 before it was even 2022. So they did a really good job. They took this house. They turned it into a tourist attraction. They're still running it. And they made a million dollars. You can take a day tour if you want, which lasts around an hour, and that's $20 per person. You can do an overnight investigation for $960, and that's for up to six people. And that gives you 13 hours in the home, but other people could also be purchase, purchasing this package, so you won't be in there just with your group of six. If you want to do that, then you have to buy the Content Creator Investigation Package, which is $1,200 for up to six people, and that allows YouTubers, creators, 
medium, psychics, whoever wants to go in the home and you rent out the whole house for 13 hours overnight. And so you're not sharing it with other guests and all those prices, they go up on weekends. I'm not sure about the hour tour. I think that one might stay at $20, but it has a different pricing from weekdays and weekends. They even offer a conjuring movie watch party with Andrea Perrin for $125 per person, but it's only on Hallow's Eve and Halloween night. So that's coming up. That's coming up very soon. They have gallery events. They have gallery events, which is $175 per person. I'm not really sure what that uh, entails. I think maybe you go in there and they have a medium speaking and you just listen to this medium speak to these spirits. They do have a website, www.theconjuringhouse.com. And on the website, it says, quote, The Conjuring House offers authentic opportunities for our guests to learn about and experience paranormal phenomena. We offer a variety of events to facilitate such chances for paranormal experiences. Check back often as we add more offerings. We hope you visit us soon, unquote. Again, you can go to their website and you can book through that at www.theconjuringhouse.com. It, uh, I won't be booking. <laughs> I will not be booking. Maybe a day tour. Maybe I'd do a $20 day tour. That would be that would be pretty cool. In the videos I watched of the ghost hunters speaking to spirits in the home, they, I'm talking specifically Sam and Colby here, they're scared during the whole time. Let me tell you, but they actually do it. And Colby actually spends a long time in the basement alone with nobody else in the home. It is haunting. I have linked the videos. You can watch it. In Sam and Colby's videos, they pick up uh, a voice saying, so they have these, what are they called? Like Eats, E-T-E-S. And it's, it's this machine that allows them to speak with spirits. And in one point of the video, the voice is saying Beezlebub. And they don't really know what that means. But then also that same night through speaking with spirits, the spirits are answering their questions. And when the spirits are answering their questions, they discover these spirits are held prisoner in the house and that there are most likely about seven of these spirits. And in the next video that they did though, they found out that Beezlebub is one of these devils that is part of seven devils. To me, I thought, shit, those aren't spirits they are talking to. Those are trapped devils or Beezlebub is trapping these spirits. It seems very demonic. The psychic they brought with them said that something evil is in that house, not just spirits. Sam and Colby, they want to try and free these spirits and they give it a good go. I can't believe they did this, but they did. And... They start doing research on the property and they learn that there's soldiers' bodies buried on the property. It's wild. Just go watch the video. It's it's scary. Like nothing's flying off the walls. Nobody gets possessed. But they have these boxes that they put around the house and when energy moves past them, the boxes go off. And one of them is a music box. And the music box is just going crazy in some parts. They're like, dee, 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 dee. And then this light is blinking. And these boxes are picking up a lot of energy. But nobody's around. It's just them. And these boxes are going crazy. And I'm telling you, if you were there alone at nighttime and you had this equipment and you were playing with it, Ghosts or no ghosts, your imagination is going to get the best of you and it is going to be terrifying. So if you're looking for a terrifying experience, whether or not you believe in ghosts, I think that home does have some type of energy in it that you're going to be scared, especially if you buy the content creator package and you spend the night alone in it. Ooh, that would be scary. Apparently, though, the house is very popular. They have a lot of guests stopping by. They have a lot of people staying. A lot of teenagers or young adults are obsessed with this place. And they seem to be there, going there all the time to visit the Conjuring House. When I was writing this episode, I'm a bit 
of a skeptic. I do think that there are energies and maybe even ghosts or spirits. I don't know, but I I don't totally disregard all of it. And if I was in that house at nighttime, I would for sure be thinking there was demons and spirits in there. And when I was writing this episode, something weird kept happening. And this has never happened before. I'd be typing out my script. I'd be typing out all my information that I'm finding, all of my research. And then I would go back and read it and full paragraphs would just be gone. And then it, and I was like, oh, did I, maybe I didn't type it. Maybe I just was thinking about typing it in my head. And then I, or I'm like, oh, maybe I hit the, hit a key and it went up and wrote it into a different paragraph. So I would look through the whole script. I would look through all of my research and I couldn't find the paragraph anywhere. So then I would retype it. And then when I was recording this and I was reading the script, I got to a part which I know, I know that I wrote this paragraph and when I, when I was going through my script, reading it on the podcast, I got to this part and it was only one line and then the rest was gone and it just ended off on the word believe. And I thought, I know I wrote this full paragraph because I went over it and did it a few times. And it's not like the, the wording or the rest of the paragraph just got moved in the script. It was just gone completely. I didn't delete it. Uh, and I know that I wrote it and my work always saves. So I don't know. It was just really weird writing this script. There was a few times that things just disappeared off my page and it was just, I don't know, really weird. I, um, also, so I've got a, I've got a bit of a ghost story for you. When my sister and I took a trip to Newfoundland in Canada, which is awesome, everyone should go. When we were in St. John's, we stayed at this haunted hotel. We discovered that somebody had died there. Possibly multiple people had died there, but one quite recently. Uh, somebody was, I, I believe it was either shot or stabbed to death in the bar area. Uh, just a few years before we were there but this place was really old like it was over 100 years old and we we go to this hotel it's really old we hear from people there that somebody had died there we somehow got to talking about like hauntings and they were like oh this place is definitely haunted and we were like what it was it was cheap it was awesome it was cool it was like this historic hotel and that night that we were there so I think we spent two or three nights there and the first night my sister heard furniture in the room above us scraping and scratching moving all around the room all night she said it was so loud it actually kept her up this is fully true everything I'm telling you right now this is fully true this all happened so the next morning I wake up and my sister's like oh I had a terrible sleep someone was upstairs moving beds and dressers around and she actually went and was talking to the staff at the front desk and she said oh I don't know what's going on upstairs I don't know if you guys are renovating or what but last night really late at night there was a lot of furniture moving around up there or maybe there's people staying up there and they're moving stuff around and they said nobody's in that room and nobody had been in that room all night. And when she told me that, I was like, what? No way. Maybe she didn't hear it. But no, she wouldn't lie about that. Why would she lie about that? And I definitely believe her. Like she doesn't, she, she's not known to make shit up like that. But then myself, I felt like something was watching me from the bathroom uh, when I was in bed at nighttime. So the room was dark. My bed, my bed, how I was laying, if I roll onto my side, I was facing the bathroom door and the bathroom door was open. And if I tried to close the bathroom door, I was like, I'll just close it. It'll be fine. It would creak back open. So I just left the door open. So I was like, oh, it's an old place. The door is just open. I don't know. So it, it was just open. I wanted it closed, but it kept like creeping open. And I just thought, oh, it's a old place you know but I kept waking up all night and I would wake up and I, my dog's barking now yikes so scary okay so and I kept waking up all night and when I would wake up I would be facing the, the bathroom and it was totally dark and I could just feel that something was watching me from from the doorway and that was creepy yes but again nothing physical I didn't hear anything it was just a really terrifying feeling I was getting all night that something or someone was watching me from the darkness in the bathroom 
and then the next day the next day we have video of this I'm gonna see if my sister has the video and I'll post it the next day my sister and I we wake up we get ready we go have breakfast we go out exploring all day all over St. John's I love St. John's so we go out exploring all over St. John's all day we come back in the evening time and we go into our hotel room and as soon as we walk in I look over at my bed and it is moved two or three feet from where it was and I know that because my bed has a headboard that is nailed to the wall you know in hotel rooms they just will nail the headboard to the wall and then push the bed up against it so the headboard doesn't move but the bed frame and the mattress like the actual bed part was moved over two to three feet towards the wall away from the bathroom door And we walked in and my sister was talking and doing something. And I said, oh my God, look. And then she's like, what? And then she turns and looks and her face goes pale white. And I said, I swear I did not do that. I have, I came in and it was like that. Like you've seen me, I've been over here the whole time. And that we made a video and then she starts recording and she records the bed and she records me trying to be logical about it. Like, well, well, maybe I did this. Well, maybe I did that. And we're like, no, we did not that bed when we left was lined up with the uh, headboard on the wall and when we came back it was pushed over two to three feet and I hope she has this video in it we are freaking out and I'm like no maybe it's just and she's like oh my god and we're freaking out and then I thought well maybe it's the hotel staff messing with us because you went down and you told them you heard moving furniture and they have been telling us this place is haunted and maybe it's just the hotel staff messing with us but the hotel staff never said anything like anything spooky happen or nothing they didn't say anything to us and it, it yeah it was weird and I definitely felt something in that hotel definitely I'll, I hope my sister has a video so I can post it so that's probably the most haunted I've ever gotten with like those intense feelings that you're being watched and then things being moved around the room there was another two conjurings made which also involved ed and lorraine warren and are also true stories or at least based on true events also the horror movie annabelle which again involves ed and lorraine warren and it is also a true story and again based on true events Uh, after Ed and Lorraine Warren had taken possession of this doll. In the movie Annabelle, it's this porcelain, beat-up, creepy doll. In real life, Annabelle was a Raggedy Ann doll, pretty big Raggedy Ann doll. And the Raggedy Ann doll was given to a woman for her 28th birthday by her mother, and apparently she loved it. And right there, I'm like, what 28-year-old woman would love a Raggedy Ann doll for their birthday? Like, mm, I don't know. So, But anyways, she loved it, and then she brought it back to her apartment. She was a nurse. Her roommate was a nurse. This is in the 1970s. They'd come home. The doll would be moved. It, they would leave it on the couch. They'd come home. It would be in the woman's room with her door shut. And she's like, well, that's weird. We didn't leave the doll there. And they had named this Raggedy Ann doll Annabelle. And then one day, the woman's boyfriend was in the apartment alone. And he was like, what the hell? I think someone's in that room. Nobody should be here, but he could like hear noises. So he goes over and he opens the door. And there was the Raggedy Ann doll Annabelle laying face down on the floor. And the noises had stopped. And he was thinking, okay, this is creepy. I just heard noises in here. I come in here and there's just the Raggedy Ann doll. And then the noises stop. And then apparently he developed these really big, deep, long scratches on his chest that were all bloody that disappeared within two days. And the women in the apartment, they were finding pieces of paper littered around the apartment with the words help me written on it and the notes were written on baking paper and the women said they didn't even have baking paper in the house so they had no idea where these notes were coming from they end up calling a medium 
they're thinking we need a medium this doll something's up with it it's moving around it's leaving us letters on paper we don't even have so they call a medium at first she they don't call ed and lorraine warren they call this other woman the woman comes over and she says hey there's a spirit in your doll and mm, maybe just like allow it so they are thinking okay well we will allow it. We'll sympathize with this doll. And when they started sympathizing with it, it just got even crazier and crazier till eventually they called Ed and Lorraine Warren. Ed and Lorraine Warren come over and they're like, this isn't a spirit. This is a demon. You got a demon in your damn doll. You should give it to us. So the women were like, take this Raggedy Ann doll, take Annabelle. She's possessed apparently. So you can have her. And they take Annabelle and on their way home when they were driving home their brakes failed multiple times says Lorraine Warren and she says when Ed poured holy water over the raggedy handle in the back seat then that's when the brakes started working again this doll ended up in their museum so Ed and Lorraine they ended up making kind of this demonic museum where they kept everything that was possessed or you know was involved in some sort of paranormal activity something evil things evil conduits if that's the word and they put Annabelle originally they didn't put her in that glass box that you see in the movie they had her just out in the office, in Ed's office, but she, they reported that she was levitating around the house and moving around the house, and it wasn't good. So they would put her outside. They'd put her in a garage outside, but they would come home, and then there was Annabelle. There was the Raggedy Ann doll in their home again. They couldn't figure out how this doll was moving around. So that's when they built this specialty glass and wood box and had a priest put a blessing on it so the doll couldn't get out but it didn't stop there they had a priest visiting their home and the priest had somehow got a hold of Annabelle I don't think she was in this locked up box and he held Annabelle and Ed was like whoa put her down and the priest was like oh I don't think she's demonic it's fine and Ed told him that's not something you should be playing with and then that priest was driving home that day in his new car and then he crashed it. It was a very bad accident and the priest told them that before he crashed his car, he could see Annabelle in the rear view mirror. They had another person come over to the house. There was two people. They came over to the house. I don't know what they were doing there, if they were looking through the museum or what, but they got to the glass box that Annabelle was held in and the guy starts tapping on the glass, like knocking on the glass. And Ed and Lorraine were like, you shouldn't do that. She is not a nice doll. And the guy was laughing and making fun of this demonic doll. He really didn't believe it. Him and his girlfriend were riding home after that on their motorcycle and he crashed the motorcycle and died, but the girlfriend didn't die. She almost died. And she told people that before they crashed and before her boyfriend died in that motorcycle accident, they had been laughing and making fun of the Annabelle doll. So again, very creepy stuff, but I do have to put, I do have to put this in. When I was researching this, I saw that the young priest and the motorcyclist, there was never any names put to them. Um, and also the two nurses that were the original recipients of Annabelle, they never came out with their story. And yeah, so there was only Ed and Lorraine Warren telling these stories. Nobody else was vouching for this. So I'm not too sure what happened there, but it's very creepy, this doll. Then there was another horror movie made called Haunting in Connecticut, which also involves, you guessed it, Ed and Lorraine 
Warren. And yup, that's a true story as well. Let me just talk a little bit about the haunting in Connecticut story. So this is also apparently based on a true story that was released in 2009. It was classified as a psychological horror film and it's about a family and it's placed in 1986 and they move into this old house in Connecticut and then strange things start happening and they realize that it used to be a funeral parlor and one of the sons starts seeing spirits and just like seeing all this creepy stuff and seeing ghosts and then other family members they start seeing it too and then there's some kind of sexual assault involving the parents and these demons that live in the house and things like the mop water turns into blood and really creepy stuff like that um and this is this is the the true story. So this apparently did happen. But you'll notice my tone of skepticism in this one, and I'll tell you why. But when the family contacted Ed and Lorraine Warren, they told them, "Hey, your house, it's you got you got demons. You got a lot of demons in here." they started doing their thing the family was trying to move out of the house but they couldn't and then Ed and Lorraine got this author Ray Garten and he ended up writing a book on this family's case in 1992 and the book was called In a Dark Place The Story of a True Haunting so with a title like that you think true haunting you because it says true haunting. You think it's a true haunting. But then listen to this. This is a quote from Ray Garten, which I got from a website, uh, livescience.com, which I will link in my show notes. He says, quote, I found that the accounts of the individual Sneedeckers, which was the family's surname who lived there, didn't quite mesh. They couldn't keep their stories straight. I went to Ed with this problem. Oh, they're crazy, he said. You've got some of the story. Just use what works and make the rest up. Just make it scary, unquote. So that's Ray saying, um, I've been interviewing the family about this true horror story I'm supposed to be writing. They can't keep their story straight. There's a lot of things not making sense here. And Ed responding with, well, you know, they're crazy. You got a little bit. Make the rest up. Just make it really scary. Ray, he wanted to write a true story. He wanted to write a true paranormal haunting, you know? So he didn't have that. So he says he just used what he could and he made up the rest. And he said he tried to make it as scary as he could. The family, though, who lived in the haunted house, they say the Sneebergers, or the <laughs> Sneebergers, the Sneedeckers, they are adamant that they were haunted and they were assaulted by these demons and their mop water was turning into blood. Uh, they stand by this they say yes it was supernatural it was demonic our house was haunted this is all true so I don't know I don't know maybe they were just trying to make some money off their story I don't know either way these people who are involved in these true stories if they're making them up or not it is entertaining and it is creative I'll say that Ed and Lorraine Warren have for sure lived very interesting lives and have done very well in their paranormal investigation business. Uh, they founded the New England Society for Psychic Research in 1952, I believe. They were busy with their research and during their career, they investigated over 10,000 cases. Not all panned out uh, like the mentioned movies, not all turned that wild, August 23rd, 2006, sadly, Ed Warren passed away at the age of 79. He had had previous heart problems and his health had just been declining. April 18th, 2019, Lorraine Warren died in her sleep at the age of 92. These two had an undeniable strong bond. They loved each other. They worked with each other. 
They built this business together. They were Ed and Lorraine Warren. They are famous in the horror genre and paranormal realm. And perhaps they are together again in the spirit world they committed their lives to. I might just have to cover the true events of Conjuring 2, Conjuring 3, all of those. You know, let me know if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more like them. Other horror movies that are based on true events are The Exorcist, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, Poltergeist, When a Stranger Calls, The Girl Next Door, which I'm actually covering that case uh, next month. I've had the book for weeks now, but I know it's a really disturbing, terrible case and I'm debating covering it or covering it or not so I might be covering it next month it is it's brutal though another movie based on real life events is Texas Chainsaw Massacre based on serial killer Ed Gein who I haven't covered yet but he is a really nasty evil man who committed vile gruesome crimes a real sick son of a bitch that one That concludes this week's Halloween special episode about horror movies based on true stories. I don't know what you're doing now, but I'm going to watch all of The Conjurings back to back. (laughs) One more thing. One more thing before we go. If you have written or would like to write a short spooky story, maybe you're inspired by this week's episode. I would love to read it. I would love for you to share it with me so I can possibly read it on the pod for the last week of October. If you have a story and you would like me to read it, send them to hellnopodcast, all one word, at outlook.com. That's hellnopodcast at outlook.com by October 23rd. Cutoff date, October 23rd. If you get it in maybe a day or two late, I might be able to squeeze it in. I did make a post on the Hell No, a true crime podcast Instagram about it. So head on over to get that email address. You don't have to consider yourself a pro writer. The stories don't have to be long and they can be any flavor of spooky. I would even love to hear real life ghost stories or creepy stories as well. Maybe you've had an encounter with the spiritual world or a ghost. Maybe your house is haunted. I don't know. Maybe creepy things have happened. Let me know though. Real life fiction. I want all the spookiness. Please let me know in the email if you wish for me to use your name when I credit you or whatever alias you prefer. I have written one to share actually. I've written one myself and it was really fun. I look forward to reading yours and I look forward to reading you mine. Please follow, like, rate, and share on whatever platform you are streaming from. It really helps my podcast cast grow and I really really appreciate it go watch some horror movies and I will see you next week for the third Halloween special which is going to be spooky bye